There are nearly 2 million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care, specialty care, mental health care, and women's health specialty care, such as advanced breast and gynecological care, maternity care, and infertility treatments. At each VA medical center nationwide, a Women Veterans Program Manager is available to advise, advocate, and coordinate care for women veterans. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855-VA-WOMEN or 855-829-6636 or contact the nearest VA medical center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. For more information about benefits and other services for women veterans, visit www.va.gov slash womenvet. Oh, let's get it. Monday, March 21st, 2022. Born the Battle, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. However you listen to Born the Battle, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Facebook, the player inside the blog on blogs.va.gov. Hope you're having a good week outside of podcast land. Personally, I am looking forward to spring. The D.C. area cannot make up its mind. For instance, uh, these were the temperatures for three straight days here. 72, 30, 64. What do you even do with that? Seems to be warming up, though. But winter is trying to stick around for at least one day out of the week. You know, go pound sand, winter. You're not wanted here. Couple ratings, but no new reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't yet, please consider writing a review for Born the Battle on Apple Podcasts. It's greatly beneficial. It helps climb the podcast higher in the algorithms, giving more of your brothers and sisters a better opportunity to discover Born the Battle, listen to the testimonies of their fellow veterans, how they overcame their own challenges, listen to our benefits breakdown episodes, and hear what's also in the news releases. It's also the best way for me to communicate with you about your show. And yes, this is your show. Only one news release this week says for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs released its asset and infrastructure review report on March 14th that includes recommendation that includes recommendations by the VA secretary. The report's release marks the beginning of an in-depth deliberative process, whatever that means. The AIR report is the result of years of research and analysis intended to help VA build a better healthcare network with the right facilities in the right places to provide the right care for all veterans, including underserved and at-risk veteran populations in every part of the country, making sure our facilities and services are accessible to veterans in their communities. The VA Mission Act requires Secretary McDonough to publish the AIR report, again, the AIR Asset and Infrastructure Report, in the Federal Register and submit it to Congress and a presidentially appointed AIR Commission. The AIR Commission will conduct public hearings as part of its review of VA's recommendations before submitting its own recommendations to the president for further review in 2023. The recommendations center around improving access to and quality of care for veterans by ensuring the department's infrastructure in the decades ahead reflects veterans' needs and the 21st century design standards. VA is vesting heavily in its employees, 
strengthening it as public-private strategic partnerships, and elevating its role as the leading healthcare research entity and leading healthcare workforce training institution in the country. To learn more, you can visit www.va.gov forward slash air commission report. You can also find the air commission recommendations in the federal register at federalregister.gov. And just, again, just type in air commission and you'll find it. All right. This week's guest is one of the first females to ever fly in a combat zone. She's also a Mustang officer, which is always great. She's also an author and is currently the program director for the Proudly She Served project. She is Navy veteran, Linda Maloney. Enjoy. Linda, you know, we've we've been going back and forth uh, for a while now. I'm glad we, we could finally do the dang thing. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's like life is so busy, you know? I mean, I have kids, I work a corporate job, I volunteer, I'm just... Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, there's no, there's, it's all good stuff. It's just a lot of it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, same here. Same here. It's just <laughs> you know? job and, and life, right? Um, yeah. How many, kid, how many kids you have? I have three. I have a stepdaughter who's grown, and then I have an 18-year-old who's um, – there's probably a picture of him on my wall. He's a swimmer. He's And I, and I have a 15-year-old, both boys. And um, But my 18-year-old just verbally accepted to swim at Virginia Tech. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Yeah, he's 6'5", 220 pounds. He, and so he is actually, he's going to a prep school in Florida for his last year. Long story short, but New Jersey shut down for swim, really, for competitive swimmers for two almost two years. And so he was going to this program down there that they have a bunch of um, Olympians like, um, oh gosh, Caleb Dressel and have graduated from this program called the Bowl School. It's a day school, prep school, and also a boarding school. And so he got in to go for his last year of high school and it made all the difference in the world with a swim. Really? Yeah. I miss, we miss him, but we see him a lot. Like we have a condo down in St. Augustine and we're back and forth. It's in Jacksonville, Florida where he is. So um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a, you talked about his measurable. That's not a boy. That's a man. That's a- he's a man. He's a he's a man child, Tanner. He's a man. He, he's he's still a kid. Yeah, <laughs> he's still, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's still on the payroll. Yep, yep. No, Virginia Tech's a great school. Many many uh, times going up there. My wife went to Virginia Tech. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So. I've never been there. It looks beautiful, but it's not in the middle of nowhere. It is out in the middle of nowhere. There's yeah. cows actually out just outside the campus yeah. there, but uh, I which I actually appreciated being from a, a, a farm town myself but uh no many drives from cherry point north carolina seven hours to go to virginia oh, tech gosh, for yeah. roughly three to four years so yeah. yeah no good good memories of the school yeah well melinda you know you're a navy veteran um you know and, and the first question we always ask here on born the battle is when did you know that the military was going to be the next step in your life um so i was 17 in high school and um I didn't have a lot of choices really because my parents were divorced, a lot of just crazy stuff going on in my family. And I just, I had like this undying desire to get out on my own. And I think when you grow up maybe in a difficult situation, obviously you want better for yourself, you know, and I just wanted to impact my own life and, and make choices in my own life. And I knew that my parents didn't have the money for me to go to college and my sister had actually gone in. She was a year older than me. She had gone in the Navy and um, I just thought it was a great 
you know, opportunity. And I had this thing about airports and aviation. My mom was a reservation and ticket agent for a number of years. And I loved, I, had, I don't know, even know why now, but I just loved going to the airport. I, you know, I just loved the excitement of that. And mm. so I went and down and talked to the recruiter on my own, um, without my parents' knowledge, probably initially, and um, got signed up to be an air traffic controller. So difficult situation, wanting to break yeah. a cycle. I can completely identify with that, wanting, yeah. to, wanting to not fall into the same cycle. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now you were, you were a Mustang in the Navy, mm-hmm. uh, started out enlisted again as an air traffic controller, like you talked about, and then received an ROTC scholarship. Yep. Um, how did the scholarship come about? And, and okay, real quick, as an air traffic controller, uh, I always think of Die Hard 2. Yeah. And that was probably around the same time that you were an air traffic controller. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Although, so a little bit different with me, I wasn't in a tower. I was a radar controller okay. stationed in Hawaii on Ford Island. So I was at this facility called FastFact, the Fleet Area Control and Surveillance Facilities. And we controlled all the warning areas, like all the training, all the warning areas for the aviation all, squadrons that would come out and dogfight and, you know, do aggressor stuff. And Oh, wow. Yeah. So that, so I was there for about a year and my senior chief saw something in me that I didn't see in myself at that age. You know, I, I was 18 at that point and he recommended for me to um, go to this program called the Boost Program, the Broaden Opportunity for Officer Selection and Training. Wow. And it was in San Diego, California. And it was for economically, basically economically um, deprived um, kids, which I don't know if I really was that, but people that were in the military that needed a, a, a step up. And um, they saw some in you and, yeah. and they were like, you know, hey, this is a good opportunity for someone that. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. No, absolutely. And so I applied, got accepted, um, was only in Hawaii for like a year and a half and then went to San Bummer. Diego. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then went to San Diego, another wonderful spot. Not a bad, yeah, not a bad thing to trade out. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, you know, um, the, uh, you know, the Marine Corps and Army, I don't think have as many great um, bases as like the Air Force and the Navy. So, you know, throughout my career, I I went to lots of uh, great places, but um, so I went to San Diego for a couple years, then got a ROTC scholarship to the University of Idaho, the Vandals in Idaho, in mm-hmm. Moscow, Idaho. Mm-hmm. And my, we're from the East Coast. And my parents are like, Ida, what? Where in the heck? <laughs> Why? The Great Potato Why? State. Why? Uh, yes. I'm from Washington State, so oh, I am very wazoo. familiar with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Wazoo, yeah. Pullman. Yeah. Pullman, yeah. Uh, Eastern Washington. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love but, the Pacific Northwest. I, if, you know, Idaho is a little bit over from that, but I, if I could live out there, I would. I love it. Don't tell me with a good time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm on yeah. the East Coast now. Yeah. So you got to Idaho. Yep. And um, got my degree in computer science engineering, involved in ROTC, and um, took four and a half years to graduate, Um, did my little summer cruises in between my my college years, and um, again, wanted to go aviation when I graduated. And at that time, that was in 1986, and that was before, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm older than I look, oh. <laughs> but, but, um, so I, I wanted to get into aviation. I wanted to fly, but I wore contacts, glasses, and, um, 
even still at that time before the, that was before the combat exclusion law was repealed. So mm. there were very few billets available for women to fly. And I don't remember how many women pilots billets there were, but for women naval flight officers, there were 10 a year. Wow. And there were none available when I graduated. And so I initially went to, um, to Ford, uh, not the Ford Island, but um, Whiting Field, Whiting Field in Florida near Pensacola as a public affairs officer. Really? Yep. yep. Loved it. I loved it. That was a great tour of duty. But midway in, I got a call from my detailer saying, hey, some a, a billet opened up. Somebody dropped out before they started. And so do you want the billet to go to, to, go to flight school? And I said, absolutely. So I was able to start flight school. Um, yeah, that's, it was, yeah. So we're talking 10, we're talking 10 billets a year and none of them were for combat flying at the time. No, no. But in 1993, you became one of the first women in us history to join a combat flying squadron. Right. How did, how did it go from, okay, you're flying maybe a C-130 to what, what did you fly eventually? So, so my first, so I graduated at the top of my class of flight school. And normally when you graduate at the top, you get your choice or, you know, yeah. you and the Navy work together for, for your choice. But, um, but I, there were only two squadrons I could go to at that point. One was in Key West, Florida, VAQ 33. And the other one was our sister squadron, VAQ 34 in Point Magoo, California. And so I ended up going to Key West and I flew in the EA 7 EA-7 Lima, I think it was, and then the A-6. And we, our mission at that squadron, we had a couple different aircraft in that squadron. We had A-7s, A-6s, P-3s, and A-3s. And our mission basically was to train the fleet as to what the enemy looked like. So we would fly enemy missile profiles, enemy radar profiles. And, um, and it was a huge squadron and, you know, there were several women, but there, you know, there was mostly men in the squadron, but it was, it was absolutely frustrating for us, the women, because we joined the military to fly, to fly in combat, you know, to, yeah. fly, to just to be, you know, if you're qualified and, you know, you graduate and, you know, you get your wings, you want to do everything that everybody else is doing basically. Or at least have the opportunity to. Yeah. 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 yeah have a, at least have a level playing field. Yeah. And, um, so, and, and we can talk about this later, but in the middle of that tour, um, I was a young nugget flying a sixes at that point and ended up having a major, um, aircraft emergency and ended up ejecting out of an a six over the Atlantic ocean. And this past week was 31 years of that anniversary and the pilot and I every year, um, contact each other, whether it's email, social media, sure. and just say, Hey, happy anniversary. Thank God, you know, we're here, <laughs> you know, so. no kidding. That had to be a, a traumatic event. Yeah. You know what? I'm more afraid of it looking back now because at that point I'm young. No fear. You can have a family. Yeah. You're stupid. <laughs> you know, you're, like, like you're young and like you're, you're fearless, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you just go through the training. The military trains you so well that you just go through your training and, but I was the first woman to eject in a Martin Baker seat, which is one of the um, primary ejection seats that the military uses. And they've, I've kept in contact with them for years. And they, they give um, the guys, when you eject, they give you a tie. But for the first woman, they said, hey, do you want a tie? And I was like, oh, I don't care, anything. But what they did was they made this special little pewter pin for me. And they wanted to present it to me um, from – 
over in England because it's they're a um, British company and they wanted to have it presented by the by Princess Diana. Oh, wow. And the military, and there were at that point 6,000 ejections. So they wanted to have the person who was the 6,000 ejectee and me, this is during Desert Storm, come over to England and receive, you know, the the tie or the pin from Princess Diana. And the military said, no, we they wouldn't let us go. And I would have loved that opportunity. You know, they don't sure. want you standing up in front of a company endorsing, you know, how that is in the military sometimes. But yeah. Interesting. So, um, I, so at that time period, um, I was able to transition. This was around the same time period that the combat exclusion law was being repealed. And I was able to transition to a combat squadron in Whidbey Island, Washington, flying in the EA-6B, the Prowler. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And that was, um, yeah, I, I um, cruised on the USS Abraham Lincoln, the first West Coast boat with women on it. So that was uh, quite an interesting experience. <laughs> so, sure, yeah. sure. Um you know, Darlene Iskra, uh, I interviewed her here on Born the Battle as well. Not only because her and I share a unique last name and I was like, yeah, I know, you know I know her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, but because she was one of the first female dive officers, she yeah. the first female to ever captain a ship. Um, it seems like you and her served in unique positions at unique times in history. Um, how did you, and you, and you kind of alluded to it. How did you handle being one of the first females to fly in a combat zone? Um, was there any unique adversity? Uh, and if so, how did you manage it? Um, it, it, you definitely were living your life in a fishbowl. And I think if I, what do you mean by that? Um, because there's so few of you and it, you know, and, and it was almost like we were not allowed to make the same mistakes or this, you know, it was viewed differently than the guys. And I, and, and I, and I hate to say that even, but it was, it was, and I wish I knew what I, then what I know now, I would have handled it completely differently. And I think when you're young and you, um, you know, you don't know the whole world is watching you really, like yeah. you don't have that perspective, that maturity, you know, some, some women did, I didn't, <laughs> you know, and, um, and I tend, tended to wear my heart on my sleeve. And I think I took it personally that mm. they didn't want us there. They hate some of them. And I, and then when I say they, many of the guys were wonderful. They were awesome, but there was a small group that really made our life hell. And, you know, and, and they, um, they let us know that they didn't want us there. Mm. And, um, but it was, I mean, even still, even with all those challenges of, you know, kind of living your life in a fishbowl and a lot of focus on the women, it still was an amazing opportunity. I wouldn't, you know, change it for anything. And, you know, it's made you who you are. It's part of your story, you know? Yeah. Great life Um, lessons. And, um, and I say this all the time that I could never repay the military for the opportunities that it gave to me as both an American, a citizen, and as a woman. I mean, and, you know, I, I love the military. I'm, I'm thankful that there are people, men and women that are willing to serve. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Adversity comes in all forms, right? You know, yeah. everyone, everyone's faces challenges in their life. Um, some are, uh, are different than others. It's it just, you were able to, f- to face your adversity in a very unique time in history. And, and you know, I, 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 I thank you, you know, yeah. um, and there had to, you talk about kind of the pressure of, of not almost, almost having to be perfect, being one of the first ones, there had to be extra eyes from on high that you may not have even realized at the time mixed with those realities that were on the ground. 
Yeah. And I mean, there were some interesting things that happened. Obviously, there was tail hook, you know, that caused a lot of, um, you know, eyes what, on the aviation community in general. What's tail hook? You don't know what tail hook is? Absolutely not. Seriously. So look it up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but let me tell you, no, if you, if yeah. you Google the Cliff tail Notes hook, version, Cliff Notes so version. T- so Tailhook is an organization that's for aviators. And um, so they have, um, and they do a lot of great things. They have the Tailhook magazine and they have an annual conference okay. in Vegas. And I don't know if you know, know the name Paula Coughlin, but no. she was a Navy helo pilot. And this all kind of the lid blew off tail hook from one of the Vegas conferences because a lot of things went on, like women were assaulted, women, a lot of women oh aviators gosh. and civilian women. Um, there was a lot of drinking and, um, yeah, I mean, if you Google tail hook, okay. it'll, it'll come so up. So it was, it was, it was a big 91. controversy. At the, it was a big controversy at the time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. And it, but, but that was the same time period that they were um, debating of whether they were going to repeal the combat exclusion law. And so it caused even more, you know, consternation and um, negativity towards women, women aviators. Like we were almost blamed for tailhook, you know, and, 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 you know, and some people will say that the, the Navy tried to cover it up and, but a lot of people lost their careers and a lot, a lot of guys lost their careers fairly or unfairly because of tailhook. And, um, so it was just kind of an ugly time, um, in the, in the Navy specifically. Sounds turbulent. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> and then <laughs> right after that is when the combat exclusion law was repealed and women started um, deploying on aircraft carriers. And I was on the Lincoln and there were a group of us that knew each other from those support squadrons. And one of them, her name was Kara Hulkring. She was the first woman F-14 pilot, good friend of mine. I actually watched her plane go down the day that she died in October of 19, um, I think it was 94. And, um, her Rio, her backseater, they both ejected, but her backseater made it out and she didn't. She ejected basically into the ocean. They found her body on the ocean floor about six weeks later. Damn. And so then that caused even more, you know, um, issues we- because people were saying she's not qualified. I mean, she was a typical nugget. She, you know, she did something that, you know, another nugget, many other aviators have done before. And, Man or woman, um, yeah. 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 And so it was a difficult cruise. It was a very difficult cruise because there was a lot of media attention. And um, so it was, yeah, definitely was a turbulent time, you know, and I keep in touch with many of those women. As a matter of fact, I'm going to see a handful of them um, next month at the Women in Aviation Conference in Nashville because the Women Military Aviator Conference always meets up at the same time too. And so a bunch of us are going to get together and um, just, yeah, we've kept in touch for years. So, you know, you're talking to Ollie about all these places, Hawaii, Vegas, I, Nashville, all amazing places, all yeah. great places. Um, you talk about that turbulent time. Uh, yeah. Were there, were there any mentors or maybe a best friend that helped mm-hmm. you through your career? So one mentor that I will call out is Captain Rosemary Mariner. And she passed away. I think it's such a she- Navy name. Yeah, she, she was in the first class of seven women um, aviators that were the first class of women aviators. And that was back in 1973 that went to Navy flight training. 
And um, she was the commanding officer of that sister squadron in Point Magoo that I mentioned earlier. And she definitely was a mentor. I mean, she um, she just provided great – she was very um, um, smart and very measured and she um, she was just a great mentor and she wasn't emotional about it and she would give great advice and, you know, she would um, – to all the women and um, – she, but she was a mentor both men and women but she passed away a couple years ago and many of us went to her funeral and um, they had a, a all-female, all-woman flyover with F-18s. Um, I think it was all F-18s wow. and that was pretty amazing, yeah. Yeah. And, and just to know that she was paved that way. You know? Yeah, she absolutely paved that way. And yeah, appreciate her. And um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Amazing. Um, but there were men, I mean, there were, there, you know, uh, there were a couple men along the way that were great mentors. And, um, but um, I mean, you definitely um, need those kind of people speaking into your life along the way. Sure. And I'm, you know, yeah, I'm a real big proponent of, those relationships and mentorship and you, you know, um, everyone needs that, you know, to kind of guide them along the, the straight and narrow. <laughs> uh, everyone needs the Mr. Miyagi, you know, everyone yeah. needs the, everyone needs the the mentor to help guide your way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, another previous guest, uh, Air Force veteran Graciela. Um, I, I know her very well. She and I've known each other for years. <laughs> really? Really? Yes. She, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great so, interview. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you ever get a chance, if you're listening to this, listen to her interview. It's a great interview. I did. I listened to it. I did. Oh, she uh, sent okay. me a link. She and I have known each other for 10 years. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. She's great. She was one of the first uh, crews to serve in the no-fly zone uh, over the Gulf in the 90s. It's a mission that you you had as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I see you received an air medal for that. It was, yeah. it was an award that was initially denied to her. Uh, oh, wow. I didn't crew. know that. I yeah, didn't know that. Yeah. It, it was denied to her entire crew. Do the policy that women at the time weren't allowed to be serving in content or in combat. Yeah, content. yeah. Um, a lot of drama that you know, but the Air Force eventually did rectify it. Um, it's a great story in our archives. Again, and I implore you if you're listening to this to 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 listen to it. Yep. But I haven't. Um, anyway, if you, I see again. Again, I see you received an Air Medal for the same operation. Yeah. Yep. Was there any difficulty in receiving it, like Graciela? No, not at all. If you okay. lose, you know, so many. Um, uh, flights and I was over um, on an aircraft carrier in the Gulf uh, in the middle of the summer. It was very hot. Gotcha. <laughs> but, but if you flew so many uh, flights in the in the um, no fly zone, um, it was pretty automatic. Yeah, there were no issues at all with that. But the the yeah, Grace and I, she reached out to me probably like ten years ago, and she and I actually started this little women speakers agency. There were like five of us yeah. and we were just like testing the waters to see what kind of interest there was for having women aviators. Um, were we all, I don't think we all were aviators. It was a mix. Um, mm -hmm. but having a, a women, um, from the military to speak to different, um, organizations. Gotcha. So yeah, but she and I've known each other forever. She's good people and she's, she has such, and you probably already know this, but she has a very interesting story. So you know, her parents were from Mexico, but her husband is Japanese, I believe. Yes. So her name is Graciela, Graciela Tiscarano Sato. Yes. So yeah, what a great diverse, yep. you know. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, but I, I just wondered about that air medal because again, um, you know, and maybe again, different services, maybe yeah, different time yeah. frames. maybe the Navy at the time saw what the Air Force was doing was like, 
Yeah, we're not going to go that direction. Well, um, it might have been yeah. before the the combat exclusion law was repealed, but I don't know. But so, but when yeah. I flew, it was the the law was already changed, and yeah. I, and I think it was before the exclusion yeah. law, so that yeah. was that was so very again very interesting story. I saw the same metal kind of went there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you did twenty years. What was the yeah. what was the catalyst to making the decision to get out after twenty? Um. So I uh, probably at year sixteen. I had switched from the aviation designation over to what was called aerospace engineering duty officer. And that's where um, you were involved in acquisition, upgrading of aircraft and systems. And um, I, at that point in my career, I had a choice. It was like a, you know, a why in the road, which way would I go? And um, I could either go back to my community, to the aviation um, squadron community and go through the department head, executive officer, commanding officer route. Sure. Or, you know, I could, I could switch to this new community and you had to apply to it. And I got accepted. And so the thing for me, and I was in my thirties at that point, I was not married. I did not even have a boyfriend. Wow. Um, Career. I, yeah. It, um, and it wasn't for lack of trying really, but it's just <laughs> the way that it was working out. Yeah. And, um, and so it's, and it's hard to, to have long distance relationships when you're moving around the military, you know, pre-social media. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank God. In a way. <laughs> but I, so, um, I, so I, I, I knew that I wanted to have a family and yeah. in my heart, at the, you know, I wanted to have a family and I couldn't imagine, having this great career and nothing else. And it wasn't enough for me. And even though I, I I was appreciative of a great career, you know, and I, I just wanted to have a family and I wanted to have kids. And I, I, I was stationed in DC at that point in a, in a desk job. And it was a hard choice. I was, many people said, you are killing your career. What are you doing? You know, by denying, not going back, you had basically sign a letter saying that you weren't going to go back to, yeah. you know, flying. Yeah. To a department head tour. Yeah. And, um, and I spent a year, I, I remember like praying about it. Like, oh, I wish I could just wake up a year from now and look back on the decision that I made and that it was the right decision. Yeah. And I just took a leap of faith. You know, I just jumped off the cliff and, but I knew in my heart, it was the right decision for me. And within the next year I'd met my husband he was living in Boston. Um, we had, would have brought us together as he was a private pilot. He was a, he was, he was a flight instructor also. Um, he doesn't do that anymore, but we kind of had that in common and we actually met on social, social media. So we met on this dating app and I tried it out for a couple of weeks and I went, Oh, this is not for me. I can't do this. (laughs) Like I'm not a blind, I wasn't a blind dater. Like I cannot, it just like the thought of it just freaked me out. But I'd met him and, and we literally probably kept in touch for a year and a half, like maybe every couple months. And he said, ah, she's not available because I'd be like, hey, dude, how's it going? That was like the extent of my Conversation. You know, email. Court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't ready, obviously. Yeah. And so um, I remember he had sent me a note or somehow I found out that he was over in South Africa diving, shark diving. And that kind of piqued my interest. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. So we got reconnected and um, ended up 
getting engaged, getting married. And I was at that point, I was stationed as an aerospace engineering duty officer, as an AEDO. So at that point, Um, you had made the decision to go in this this before I even met him, before I met him. And so I was stationed at Naval Air Station, Patuxent River. So we got married and um, I spent my last tour of duty at at Pax River. And my husband moved down from Boston. He was able to uh, do remote with his job, unbelievably. Um, and yeah, I mean, but I just, um, I just took a leap of faith and I, and I've never regretted it. Having sure. my kids has been absolutely sure. the best thing I've done in my life. You know, I, I think you, you kind of, you kind of speak to a, a decision. I think a lot of women have to make, you know, everyone yeah. talks about a glass ceiling. Well, part of that glass ceiling is, is a choice there that's family or career sometime in your thirties. And I think a lot of women have to make that decision mm-hmm. and men too, men too. But I think a lot of times it's, uh, you know, as, 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 you know, do I want to be a mother or do I want to focus on my career? And, and, and those choices are, are made around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in the military, it's even harder because yeah. it isn't like you're working for a corporation and you can kind of balance it and maybe take yeah. Fridays off or in military. You can't say that. You can't say, I'm going to take Friday off and I'm going to work remote. You can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think what I, what I like about your story is that, you know, you had to make that decision at that point, mm-hmm. but you've also found a way to break through the ceiling in a different avenue in your transition. Like yeah. it, it's not just because you made that decision doesn't mean that that was the end of your career. You just found right. a different career where you could have kind of have both. I think, yeah. that's, yep. I think that's beautiful. Um, now you got out in 2004. I, I actually came in in 2003. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, tell no idea. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, the, the, the post-military landscape, has, has really been built a new, but not at that time, you know, it was just early in those wars. Yeah. 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 What, what was it like transitioning in 2004? Cause I hear a lot of 2011, 2015. Yeah. Yeah. This was kind of early on when, yep. when I don't think the infrastructure is the same, is, was, is, was, was, not it was like definitely it different. is now. Yeah. Exactly. There's so many organizations and people out there that are that really trying to help veterans and um and the va has changed yeah everything's changed yeah absolutely there's so many great i mean you go on linkedin and you put in veteran and it's like you know a plethora (laughs) of just great organizations and opportunities for veterans you know mentors and all that Yeah, yeah yeah so for me um when i i know some folks struggle getting out I had, I was a new mom. My, I had my son, my first son, the year I retired. And so I was ready. Like I, I loved my career, but I was ready to move on to something else and something that I really wanted, you know, and I was newly married. And, um, so I, um, so we stayed in the Pax River area. There were a bunch of defense companies down there. And at this time, defense contracting was rolling. Yes, 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 yes. You're right. (laughs) Support the warfighter, post 9-11. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's a bunch of money, you know. (laughs) Oh, it was crazy. It was crazy. So I worked, literally, I worked part-time, like 24, 30 hours for the next 10 years. I just worked part-time, and which was wonderful for me. And it made a good living too, you know. And, um, and I was able to, to pick and choose, um, you know, what I wanted to do. So I worked as a program manager, um, supporting, um, different aviation programs. And so I was able to be there for my kids. I had my other, my next son three years after that. 
And, um, but yeah, it was a, it was a great opportunity. And, and I, I wouldn't say I, I didn't miss it because I was surrounded by, by military down at NAS Pax River. Um, then about, we were down in Pax River for 11 years total, and we ended up moving up to Rhode Island. And I, I and then I went to work uh, for Newick Naval Undersea Warfare Command near New, um, near um, um, the, the Navy base in Rhode Island, down in Newport. And um, that was a big uh, change for me because that was all submarine kind of stuff and oh. all brand new, even though it was Project management i didn't love it i didn't love that but um between different my, you know like i said you're yeah. talking you're talking you're ten thousand feet in the air thirty thousand feet in the yeah. air we're talking see yeah. a uh, complete opposite absolutely different yeah different landscape different mindset but between my time in maryland at pax river and my time in rhode island um i put this book together called military fly moms and i actually have it with me this morning so this is it mm. and it took me eight years to get this book together. And it is a collection of 70 women, um, aviators, all military services, every military service. And some of them are still active duty. Now there was a mix of, of women that were active duty, retired, and then separated, got out before 20 years. And the book is a coffee table style book, um, all color pictures. And, um, I just had this, um, like I'm a storyteller or like I'm, I love yeah. to highlight women in the military because I always would get the question of who are you and why did you join and who are the women in the military and you're okay. But the rest of them, you know, like we were a bunch of militant feminists, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> it could, you know, it could be it's, your it, mom, it, you, you were, you were getting hit with a narrative that you didn't see and you had a passion to tell it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that was my passion for the book. And my husband was the one that actually encouraged me to write the book. And he was like, oh, you know, he he was talking to someone on a train once and he was telling him about my story about ejecting. And she's like, oh, she should write her story. And I said, you know what, though? But my story is just one small piece of a bigger story. Yeah. And so that's what really spawned the book. And um, so um, it the women all tell their story and, you know, talk about growing up and why they joined and what it was like to fly in combat. If they flew in combat, what it was like to be a dual military spouse, you know, if they were and how they manage those priorities of choosing whether to stay in or get out. And um, it was just a labor of love because, you know, you don't make a lot of money publishing, getting a book published. You know, you probably lose, I probably lost money. (laughs) Sure. It was a passion that you wanted to push back on the narrative of militant feminist of, yeah. of you know, that you're like, no, these are just women that normal uh, women, everyday yeah, heroes, yeah. normal everyday women that, you know, they wanted to do the same thing the guys wanted to do. Now you wrote that, if I, if I did my research right, you wrote that in 2012. It was published in 2012, but up until then it took me eight when I got out in 2004. Yeah. And it it was in between having my kids and staying up late and, you know, oh yeah. yeah. Labor love. Um, what you you mentioned publishing, what, what was it like? Because if you can believe it, that was a, it was a decade ago. Yeah. uh, yeah. Now it doesn't seem like it to me even. Um, but the publishing game has changed Mm -hmm. a lot 
you know, Graciela's kind of alluded to it. Yeah. And, yeah. and she'll, she'll push back and she'll say, well, self-publishing is not real publishing. This is how you publish. You know, she's her marketing mind. Um, she's so smart. I mean, yeah, she, yeah, yeah, she finds ways and, and that I can't yeah. even imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, she has the book babies and all that stuff. Uh, so, yeah. but, but the publishing game's changed a lot with the onset of Amazon and self-publishing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like back then uh, to publish a book? Uh, and is it the same? You think? Um, it was just kind of the start of the whole uh, self-publishing, quasi self-publishing, because you have these companies now that, like Amazon, it used to be CreateSpace, that I think okay. they bought on CreateSpace, where it wasn't really self-publishing. They help you along, like you can pick and choose. Um, you can pay for certain like editing or, you know, helping them with the design. And oh, wow. so, so Is my- that the route you went? Well, so my strategy is one of the women in the book, she owned a publishing company called Tannenbaum Publishing. And her name is Connie Reeves. And um, and she was actually living in Maryland near me. And we would she was kind of a mentor of mine in the book publishing world. And so I initially tried to get an agent. So I said, I'm going to give myself – because it could take you years, yeah, you know, um, to get your book published. And so I said I would give myself six months – to find an agent. And then at that point I didn't find an agent. I would then start reaching out to publishing companies. And so I, um, I forget the name of the book, but it's now, you know, you can, it was a hard copy book then now it's online, but it's every single agent in the world. You know, you can put a filter in there and say, okay, put whatever genre and blah, blah, blah. And it'll spit out all these applicable agents. And so, you know, I would email these agents and, you know, um, separately because you can't really do a mass thing. They don't like that. And so I couldn't, you know, letter after letter after letter of rejection, email rejection. And, um, but it didn't deter me. I said, okay, at that point, I'm going to start reaching out to, and I went to the, um, to Barnes and Noble and looked at different books. Like there's a, um, you know, there's some similar, not about women, but um, veteran related coffee table style books. Medal of Honor Winners is a beautiful book. Mm. And so I started, mm. you know, just researching different types of books and who their publishers were. And I started reaching out to those publishers. But I'm a, you know, I'm not a, a well-known author and, you know, or, you know, whatever. This is before and, social media where you built, you before you could build an audience. Yeah. Already built in. Um, right. So yeah. I, so Connie and I, who own Tannenbaum Publishing, she said, I'm going to publish your book. And so she and I used, so she used CreateSpace and did a, you know, publishing on demand, print on demand type of model. And um, so that's how we did it. And, um, and I don't even know now how many books have been sold. So maybe, you know, maybe probably 5,000 and um, and it's still on Amazon. And, um, but you know, I, every now and then I'll buy myself a box of books and I'll give them away, you know, sure. um, you know, you know, it, and, it's, um, it's a labor of love for you to, to help shape that narrative. And all and, the women certain- in the book. Yeah. I'm, I'm really proud of it. So, um, and they're, they're great stories or, and they're all different. And, um, yeah. 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 It doesn't sound like you wrote it to, to, you went in it for money. You went in it to, for, for a specific purpose. Yeah. Yep. You know? Yeah. Um, Previous guest, uh, Don Halfacre. You know, you know Don. I know Don. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've seen her on your on your on your website. I yeah. Get in, we'll get into that in a sec. Yeah. Um. You know, instead of the government, I want to get back into defense contracting for just yeah. one second. Um, yeah. Instead, instead of government hiring her as an employee, uh, she convinced them to hire her as a business. Um, was that the track when you came 
that you started when you started owning a business? I, I'm assuming the business, the first business you ever owned was defense contracting. Am I wrong in that? So no. So I never owned okay. a defense contracting company. I always was a, a contractor. And um, so my first business was women veteran speakers. And I recently just closed the business down in December. I had it for five years. Grace was one of my speakers. So we had, yeah. we had women speakers, coaches, trainers, and, um, COVID really negatively impacted our business. So two years sure. ago, I was on track for it to be our best year yet. And um, so it just, things have definitely slowed down. Plus, you know, it, it got to be a lot of juggling with my kids and, you know, I yeah. work a corporate job and, um, and it just, you know, it's like, was it worth the, you know, was the juice worth the squeeze at that point? Yeah. And, um, after COVID and I just, I decided it was a hard decision, but I said, you know what, I'm going to close the business down because I'm also very involved in how I know Dawn is, um, she's part of this, um, veteran project that I'm a project manager for called proudly she served, but yes. no, I never owned a defense, um, related company, but you know, gotcha. Dawn has had great success. As a matter of fact, she just sold her company, yeah. um, this past year. <laughs> so yeah, very, very incredible stories. So. We, we, you know, in, in February, uh, at the time of this drop, this other episode is, is, is will already be there. It's uh, we broke down uh, Ozdebu. Uh, it was part of my, my benefits breakdown episodes. Uh, it's the um, the Office of Small and Disadvantaged Businesses Utilization, and, and they speak highly, very highly of Dawn yeah. and and the success she had. So, um, yeah, very good, very good. Um, you talk about public speaking. Do you do you miss public speaking? Do you want to get back into that? How did you get into that? Um, <clears throat> You know, it sounds like it was something that you were, you really enjoyed as it, as we open back up, because it's got to be happening at some point, right? Yeah. Um, is that something you would want to go back into? So I loved owning the business. I loved owning the business more than I liked speaking. Like I liked, it kind of went in with my whole MO of like highlighting women, veterans. Yeah. And I, I said to my husband once, I said, I don't think I have anything else left to say. <laughs> So I'm like, I've already said it all. I've already, but so, but I like, I like putting other women forward, you know, yeah. I like highlighting them. So, I mean, if someone asked me, absolutely, I would. As a matter of fact, um, there was a senior citizen home that kept reaching out to me and they were like an hour and a half away. They had no money, you know, and, um, and I had a for-profit business. And so um, I, you know, they didn't have any money to pay a speaker. And I said, you know what? I'll go down there and do it. And it was for Veterans Day. I took my 15-year-old son and we went down there. I love older people. And Me I just, too. I love sharing with them. I love talking with them. So I drove down there and I did it myself. And so, but it's not something I see myself doing, you know, um, in the future, really. Gotcha. Very yeah. good. Uh, well, you are the director of, of another project. It's called the Proudly She Serves Project. Uh, tell me how it came about and the purpose that you see it serving. Um, yeah. And how is that project serving that purpose? So um, it's called Proudly She Served. It's proudlysheserved.com. And about hmm, maybe four years ago, I got connected to Steve Halbert, who's an artist in New York City. 
and one of my speakers with Women Veteran Speakers, Melissa Washington, she, I don't know if you've heard of the Women Veterans Alliance. She runs that organization. She connected me with Steve. And so mm. Steve calls me up in his New York accent. He's like, oh, you know, tell me all about this project he wants to start. He had painted Don Halfacre. Speaking of Don Halfacre, yeah. he got connected. It's kind of full circle. He had gotten connected to Don. And, he, and at this point, he had – He'd been painting, doing military-related paintings for probably like the last ten years, and he had, um, and he, um, he's had a variety of doing different things in his career, um, in media, and um, so, um, so he painted Dawn, and he said, "I have this painting, and I just think I need to do something with it, or do something more with it." And so he and I started collaborating, but he was like a, I always tell him, he was like a little dog nipping at my heels because he wouldn't leave me alone. He kept coming back like, Steve, I don't have time for this, dude. I'm like, I'm so busy. I'm like, I don't have, I'm like, I, I want to help you. I think this is great, but I don't know if I'm the one. I'm like, yeah, you know, I got, I'm like, oh. I'm juggling here. I'm juggling yeah. here. Yeah. I get that life. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, but he kept at it and long story short, Four years later, we have 12 paintings and we're not doing any more. And there was going to be one of my questions because I saw what was on there and I was yeah, wondering if you're doing nope, more. Nope. Okay. And um, so he is the executive director and the artist. I'm the project director. It's all volunteer, all volunteer yeah. hours. We have a team of volunteers, great, great people. And um, so we have been trying to have a portrait unveiling and book launch. We're working on a coffee table style book that goes with the portraits for since COVID hit. So right now we've had to adjust our schedule and I was just on a call earlier today about this, but um, we're shooting to have smaller exhibits in different military museums this veterans day, veterans day, 2022. And also reaching out to the state VA organizations to have an exhibit, whether it's a virtual exhibit or an onsite exhibit. Okay. And, um, but we're hoping to have the official portrait unveiling and book launch in 2023. And, um, we're, um, we're working with Liz Estabrooks from the Women Veterans Center at the VA to team with them with the I Am Not Invisible project also. Very good. Yeah. And uh, so a lot of great collaboration, but the whole purpose of the project, um, or these portraits of women veterans. Some are well-known, some are everyday heroes. Like a couple of them that are very well-known is Senator Tammy Duckworth. Yep. Um, Nicole Malkowski, who's the first woman Thunderbird pilot. Kirstie Ennis is another one who's well-known. And then there's women, and Dawn Hefaker, you know, Dawn is well-known also. Yep. But then there's other women who are, you know, um, just everyday heroes. Um, another woman that is probably well-known is B. Haydu, is one of the women Army uh, Air Force Service pilots. She just turned 100 years old last year and died oh, wow. in January. Yeah, and um, but Steve, great. So how it worked out is that um, I – connected Steve with many of the women and he would go to where they were, they would come to him and he would meet them, talk with them and take pictures and then do their portrait. And, um, he was not able to meet B and, uh, but we got photographs of her and, um, he had her up on his easel painting her when she passed away. And he, her daughter sent Steve a note and said, I'm so happy my mom was able to spend some time with you on the easel in his studio. And it was just, it still gives me the chills thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but, um, wow. 
just, you know, and so the whole purpose of the project, a couple, it's, it's a couple of things. Um, one is obviously to highlight women in the military, um, whether they're still active duty. We have a couple that are still active duty um, or veterans. Um, another is to encourage people, both uh, young men and young women to serve. Mm-hmm. And um, we have a coffee table style book that's going to go with the portraits and the women tell their stories. The portrait participants tell their stories, but they also talk about why it's important to serve and how, if they're not in the military still, how they've continued to serve. So one of the, you know, missions is, is to encourage our young people to consider the military as an option, but even not if they don't to consider serving in some way, in some capacity, whether it's in the military or not in the military. And, you know, when we want to encourage young women, you know, to reach for the stars and to see that these women, you know, everyday heroes, you know, did such amazing things and that they can also. So, you know, there's a lot of different things going on with the portrait series. Plus it's an art, you know, it's an art, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, a life of service is a life worth living, 100%. Yeah, and I think absolutely. You know, finding your purpose, helping others. Um, I think that's where people really start, you know, to, to really find what, what the, you know, if you go to get meta about in the meaning of life. Um you know, another thing, another purpose I saw in there was uh, it talks about raising the awareness of challenges many women face when transitioning into life outside the military. Yeah. Um, so that kind of led me to this question. Uh, what unique challenges are there concerning women veterans when they transition? Um, I, you know what? I think that the, it, this is for both men and women. I think a lot of times when people leave the military, they they can't bridge how their military experience transitions translates to um corporate america or 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 other um areas and you know and and i have found that actually it's it's not untrue because because a lot of times um in different companies they don't see your military experience your leadership as translatable you know, because you may not have been with that company and grew up in that company for 10, 20 years, your your service before is not considered valuable or translatable. And it's that's frustrating. Big time. To me. And I think yeah. it's and I think that you it's a, a battle that we continually fight. Oh, hundred percent hundred percent. I see it in my current career, you yeah. know, that um there's folks that have been in with that company, you know, forever that's the only thing that they've done yeah you know and you know and i'm bringing all this experience and i'm maybe coming in at a lower level than them because they don't know yeah exactly the minutiae of what where you came from and how you you've had this lived experiences in multiple different arenas and how you can but it's up to you also to communicate communicate that and so like i've done mentoring with young women before on taking the uh, civilianizing their resume you know, and taking their experience and making it translatable yeah, and, you know, to, to a corporate job. So I, I think that's one area yeah. that, that both men and women face. Um, I, I don't know if I see it so much nowadays, but I, I've seen it in older women veterans who don't consider themselves veterans and they don't call out their military service. And and I've had women say, I went to a conference, I spoke at a conference in Florida, a one veterans conference a couple of years ago. And several of the women said, I just started 
acknowledging my veteran service out loud. And I'm like, but why not? Like, I'm so proud of it. Like I'll tell anybody, like, I think, you know, um, you know, and when people find out you're a veteran, they're like so interested in that. And especially as a woman. So I would encourage women who are in the military and getting out to say, to acknowledge it, that they're veterans. Yeah. I think that's a lot with the, with the older generation as well. Yeah, I do too. And I don't know if it like, you know, I've had uh, combat nurses on. They're like, "Well, I just saw myself as a nurse, not as a veteran." I was like, "What would it's why you had a yeah. uniform?" Um, yeah. You know, I don't, and I don't know if it's if it's women or if it's just that older generation. I was like, "If I didn't serve in combat, I have no idea yeah. what it is." But it's yeah, it's definitely something that 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 uh, I encourage with you as well. Um, yeah. Your 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 project talks about one of its goals is to offer transition support mm-hmm. and helping handle women veterans as they define their post military goals and and right. And we're talking about paintings, right? Art, uh, trying to serve a, a pretty big purpose. And mm-hmm. uh, but hey, a, a, as a video producer, now as a podcast host, I can I can recognize art and how art can help facilitate inspiration in their life. That's kind of one of the goals of this podcast is to yep. to hear some of my guests and go, well, if they can do it, so can I, because we have the same story. Um, how is this art trying to fulfill the goal of helping women veterans define their post military goals? Well, first of all, it's highlighting i mean i think there's already a big focus on women veterans but to expand you know that um letting you know middle sometimes people in middle america you know if you know don't know who women veterans are and Mm. so we're just trying to shine a light on who women veterans are and um and also for the women themselves to just show them that, first of all, we're grateful for their service and to encourage them with these women, with this art, that these women continue to serve even if it's um, not in the military, after the military, and that if they can do it, you can do it. And also part of the um, – the project is to raise funds. So we would love to um, give a scholarship. That's like a long-term goal of the, of the project is to give a scholarship um, to a deserving woman entrepreneur. And so when we have the portrait unveiling and book launch, one of the goals for that is to be able to award a scholarship to one or even more uh, women veteran entrepreneurs. And um, so that's, you know, something that we want to go to in the long run. Uh, so is it a scholarship you like to go to school or is it more of a grant for their business? Either, either. Okay. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. either. Very good. Yeah. Very good. That's still in the works right now. We're still, it's still on paper. And so, yeah, we're still trying to figure that out. Gotcha. But that's a yep. goal. That's very yep. good. Very good. Um, Linda, what, what's one thing that you learned during your time in service and your time in the military that you apply to what you do today? Hmm. Um, that relationships matter. Uh, and I know that sounds funny, but when I, I remember as a young Lieutenant, um, being on the aircraft carrier as a division officer, I would, um, go down, um, to my shops, um, spaces in the morning and in the evening to visit those folks. Because, you know, as you know, as a young enlisted person, they make very little money. You know, and so what is it, what is it that's going to motivate them and inspire them to do a good job and to work hard, especially in a very dangerous 
environment on an aircraft carrier, you know, with turning jets up on the flight deck. And what is it? Liberty and, al- Liberty and alcohol. I'm sorry. Excuse me. It just, <laughs> just, it just popped out. I just, oh, I'm back. Well, okay. besides that. No. Besides that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're on the boat and you're just oh. liberty and you're out there for a while. <laughs> so, um, but I just thought, you know, um, when I would go down and we would just shoot the breeze, you know, we just yeah. go down there, shine our boots. And, you know, I would you know, say, Hey, how's it going back home? Um, what are you doing, you know, on the boat to, you know, in your free time, you know, you're going to school, um, just like express an interest in them and value them. You know, and I learned at a very young age, it didn't matter what level that you were at, that you needed to value people and people really, you know, especially at, at, you know, though that situation, they really appreciated it. And I remember my senior chief would say, Lieutenant, you don't need to be going down there. I got it covered. I'm, we're good. I'm like, you know what though? I do though, you know? And I remember when I left the boat, they gave me a tail hook and it, which is like 50 pounds. It's, it's, they, they throw them away after you get so many traps on the boat. And, um, but I still have that tail hook, you know, down yeah. in my basement and, and I've, I've taken it to schools and showed it to kids. And, um, and there's memories associated with looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I'm going to hang it on my wall at some point in the future. Um, but, um, but so I learned that, um, to value people. And I think, and I've taken that with me in every single job I've had. And, um, and to get to know the people, not only on a professional level, but just ask, Hey, how are you? How, how are things going? And so that's probably the one thing that really stands out to me, you know, and, and to never, um, and don't take the word no, (laughs) you know, if you want something, you will find a way to get it. You know, you just, you know, reach out, to the same people. I just, it, in a, just a recent situation with, for me, I wanted to transition to a new role in my, in my company. And I, and I said to myself, every single day, I'm going to reach out to a different person and say, Hey, how's it going? Hey, um, just to let you know, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be looking for a new role in the next six months. If you know anything, let me know. Mm. And so, um, I'm now in that new role now. <laughs> Good. good. What is it? What are you doing? Uh, So I work for Verizon and I've been with Verizon for three and a half years. And um, my my spouse also um, works for Verizon. And so I'd always worked for defense companies, um, but we had moved to New Jersey and there were no defense companies near where I live. And so I finished up my MBA and started looking around and yeah, started with Verizon um, as a, I'm working as a program manager. I was in supply chain and I'm now um, more in a technical, technical area. Do you know uh, Karen Schultz? She, no. okay. We'll talk Karen Schultz, Karen, what's her name? We'll talk after. I think uh, okay. I got to look up Ned. She was one of my, my, my release authorities when I was in a, my, one of my last deployments. So for any of my imagery, she now works for Verizon and uh, we'll, we'll talk after we'll talk after. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Linda, has there been a veteran whom you've known uh, or in the, in the community or veteran nonprofit within the, within the veteran community uh, whom you've had an experience with or whom you'd like to mention? Um, so there is a project called Uniting Us, and um, I don't know if you know Anne Marie Halterman, nope. and it's a it's an art related um, nonprofit, and she features 
art by veterans throughout the country, like in airports. And um, yeah, just a really great, um, I mean, she really works hard. She's done amazing things. And then also I want to call out um, Liz Esterbrooks at the VA, the VA Women's Veterans Center. They are doing really great things too for women veterans too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, benefits breakdown in the archives on the Women's Veterans Center if you get a chance to check it out. Yep. Um, well, Linda, we've, we've, we've gone on for, for an hour. Um, <laughs> I know it's uh, gone so fast. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. Never <laughs> no. does. Uh, is there anything that I've missed or haven't asked? Or, or maybe is there, there a parting shot to anybody that might be listening to this that you'd like to share? Um, I think you covered it all. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. And gotcha. I really appreciate you too. I know it's taken a long time for us to, to get together. Yeah. And, yeah. um, I really appreciate, I'm glad you haven't, you didn't forget about me. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, absolutely you know? not. And I follow you on yeah. social media. So yeah. And you have such a unique name, you know, so it's hard to, hard to forget. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's found. It's, 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 it's hard to find me, but if you find me, I appreciate that. Well, uh, thank you so much, Linda, for, you know, for telling your story and oh, absolutely. Uh, for, for, yeah. for joining us here. And uh, we are out. Have a good All one. Right. Ever hear the one about the frog? Put a frog in a pot of boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in a pot of cool water and slowly heat it up and that frog will boil. It's a lie. But as a metaphor for us and all that we go through as veterans, it's a story that rings true. We make excuses for how we feel. We push everything down. We tell ourselves the lie that it's easier to stay in that boiling water, to disconnect. And some days, maybe, it is. But you've never been interested in easy. Reaching out is hard. Do it anyway. You're not alone. You've got this. You are not a frog. Find resources at va.gov slash reach. I want to thank Linda for coming on More of the Battle. To learn more about her, you can find it at proudlysheserved.com forward slash our hyphen team. This week's Born in the Battle Veteran of the Week is by way of our VA's Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our social media team honors a veteran on all of our social media platforms and with a blog on blogs.va.gov. You can nominate the veteran in your life by emailing in a bio and about five pictures to newmedia at va.gov. Catherine Lee was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut in April of 1912. She graduated from the Yale School of Nursing in 1934 and worked as a nurse in a hospital in Bridgeport. She enlisted in the Navy in 1943 because she thought nurses would be needed and that she could help. Her younger brother was joining the Marine Corps, and she said he might need some attention sometime. Lee served in various hospitals and facilities, including Norfolk, St. Albans, and San Diego. By 1944, she knew she would eventually deploy somewhere in the Pacific. That destination would soon be known, and it would be Guam. She arrived on the island and was placed in Fleet Hospital 111, where the first wave of wounded soldiers she treated were from the Iwo Jima campaign. She described the patients she treated as covered with ash of Iwo Jima. She constantly worked to treat their wounds. She was promoted to the rank of lieutenant junior grade while on the island. 
However, she expressed that Rank did not play a major factor in her work and that the nurses all worked together. Lee received what she called small moments of relief during her service. She actually met up with her brother while a ship stopped at Guam on its way to China. She also recalled watching comedian Bob Hope perform during a USO show. Lee's service ended with the war in August of 1945. She was discharged at the rank of Lieutenant Junior Grade. And after her service, she worked at Bullard Company as an industrial nurse. Later, she worked as a nurse for a surgeon for many years. She also joined her local VFW in Stafford Springs, Connecticut. Unfortunately, Catherine passed away in 2012. I don't know the month, but that would have made her 99 or 100 at the time. Navy veteran Catherine Lee. We honor her service. Ready. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a future Born the Battle Veteran of the Week so we can all learn their story, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast nor any immediate products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song and was written by Marine veteran Mark Milkilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. We'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gun. Firefight bullets fly day and night. Brain simplified till we're down another campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 7.62 round that'll cut them down in an instant. Point, click, pull the trigger to the tune of falling brass. In a purple heart And a Russian made bullet in my back Raining down lead Punching that clock Get them boys, I'm laying down Cover machine gunner bullets fly day and night Brain simplified Do or die another campaign Here we go, lock and load Oh, 331 Lug a thousand rounds And I ain't bringing back one so it was a cold February day in 1991. I was flying with another A6 um, out of Key West, Florida. We were up near Jacksonville and we were flying against aircraft carrier, came off the carrier and the aircraft shuttered, kind of like zero G feeling in an elevator mm -hmm. and looked at our enunciator panel, all the lights, red flashing. And um, we had lost our, all of our hydraulics. And at one point, probably within a minute, the pilot said, I'm the right seater in an A6. I don't have control eject. And I went, what? <laughs> <laughs>
I don't have control, eject. So at that point, I pulled my handle and went screaming up through the uh, canopy uh, 15,000 feet above the Atlantic Ocean. And the rest is history, I guess they say. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So you come – how does that even – you're 15,000 feet in the air. You eject out of a plane. And then what was it happen? You're still strapped in the seat, right? You're still, so you get automatic um, seat um, um, man separation at like 11,000 feet, around 11,000 feet. And um, you can, but you could beat the seat if you're above that. But I passed out when I uh, went through the, um, the canopy in my seat, I blacked out. And the next thing I knew was I was in the tug of the parachute, the seat was gone away from me. And I looked up, the parachute was there and going down towards the ocean. And um, about 20 feet above the ocean, reached up, released my Coke fittings, my parachute went away. And I crawled into my raft. You have a raft that's in a lanyard below you. And then I waited for my, um, uh, you know, helicopter <laughs> to come out and rescue me. And But I pulled out my radio and my radio was dead. So, wow. Yeah. Yep. You actually went through the canopy. You go through the canopy in certain um, aircraft. In the A6, you go through the canopy. Oh, that's got to be 